All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Buffalo Beat Podcast. Here, however, you're listening to us, whether it be on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on The Athletic Player. By all means, uh, thank you for joining in. And if you haven't yet, please uh, rate and uh, subscribe to our podcast on whatever uh, whatever function you, you go through, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And by all means, uh if, uh, if you haven't yet, we've got special episodes every single week um, to jump in on that. Uh, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat for a 40% off of your yearly subscription to The Athletic. And you can play all your podcasts in there, even these, uh, these free ones. It's going to be uh, it, it's a pretty cool player. Lots of different speeds and all that. So, uh, so, yeah, check it out if you get a chance. But the Buffalo Bills, Matthew, have... Uh, they have whittled their roster down to 53 players and some surprises. Mostly LaShawn McCoy was was the big talking point. And this is the first time we've done a podcast. You you wrote the the article analysis column on it. Um, but outside of LaShawn, because we'll get to LaShawn, what surprised you about this roster and where they kind of landed more than anything. I think probably nothing was super shocking uh, just because there weren't a lot of spots up for grabs. I think the weird parts of it, I mean, the Jason Kroom deal was a little weird. Uh, I don't think he really earned a roster spot. Uh, he was hurt all summer. They put him on, I <clears throat> they put him on IR and, you know, used that to sign back Kurt Coleman. But in doing so, presumably leave Kroom, you know, leave the door open for Kroom to return, which I guess is a bit of an insurance option if, you know, somebody gets hurt. The other weird one to me was Dean Marlowe. Um, and I know they're familiar with him and he's played well. He's decent on special teams. But to me, he's probably one of the first ones to go if they make a claim or not make a claim, but, you know, grab somebody else um, based on some of the visits they're having this week. And obviously they're heavy on the offensive line, but I kind of like that. I, I like the, you know, those guys are assets and I don't have a problem with them keeping a few extra offensive linemen just to give themselves some flexibility. Um, you know, Ike Butker improved a lot, so why not keep him? You know, uh, he keep him around. Maybe he, you know, works his way up the depth chart, you know, throughout the course of the season. I think he's developed quite a bit. I think he's a guy who probably would have been drafted if he didn't get hurt his last year in college. So I'm fine with keeping him around. Connor McDermott, you know, they obviously have a lot of faith in him. You know, they've spent a lot of time developing him. I still think he's probably one of those guys that's right on the edge if they add another player. But you know, those are probably the, the interesting parts of it, other than, of course, LaShawn McCoy. I wouldn't consider it a shock, but surprised that they actually, you know, decided to take that plunge and, and get him off the roster. See, I think um, of those offensive linemen you, li you listed, I think the one that might be on the outer edge is probably Ryan Bates. And I know I'm running the risk of upsetting the Bates hive out there, but nonetheless, I mean, McDermott is someone they have invested a lot of time into, which also begs the point to which you're making, like, all right, he better put up and start to show results or something along those lines. But, you know, he, to them, especially if they end up moving Cody Ford inside, 
which they might. I mean, he was practicing at right tackle um, during Monday's practice. But if they end up moving him inside, then that creates a bit of a void for uh, another to want to have another offensive tackle on your roster. So since Butker plays on the inside and Bates plays on the inside, because we haven't really seen much of Bates a tackle since the first time he got here. I wonder if Bates is probably the the guy that would go if they have to cut an offensive lineman. They, they brought him in for nothing. Really cool story. Super versatile. But he's now their fourth guy, actually fifth guy that they have on the roster that can snap the ball. I mean, you have Morse, obviously. Spencer Long and John Feliciano can both do it. Ike Butker practiced it throughout the entire spring and summer in, in different practices. And now you have Ryan Bates. So exactly where do you where where does he slot in? But yeah, he's he would be the one to go. But I, I'm with you. I like the fact that they went heavy on the offensive line. They traded Wyatt Teller for his original draft position. I mean, he probably would have made the team, and we talked about that on the last show, but they traded him for his original draft position, which if you are not intending on starting a player, that usually doesn't happen, which just goes to show the craziness. Heck, the crazier part about this is that Russell Bodine elicited, solicited a six-round pick. I mean, if there was ever a player with that much experience that isn't worth a draft pick, it's Russell Bodine because he was he was atrocious last year and really was in Cincinnati as well. But you have you have these teams that are just crazy for it, and they need something, whether it be depth or experience. And they just didn't have it on their rosters. So I, I like the idea of the Bills taking advantage of both the market and understanding things. Because if we remember last year, I'm not sure if I brought this up, but um, Ike Butker was claimed. Adam Redman was both claimed after uh, after the initial or the final cuts. And I think the Bills were bummed out about both of those. They ended up getting Butker back. But, you know, Adam Redmond still with Dallas the entire year last year. And they, they thought they had a potential backup center there or, or a position or a, a developmental center. And he, they lost him, even though when they thought they weren't going to. So this is all a long-winded point to say they did a nice job by keeping 10. But five safeties, not on board with that. I'm with you. Dean Marlowe should be the first one to go. They need another corner. They absolutely do. They probably need another running back. Um, it just... In I'm terms okay of special with, teams, I'm okay with three running backs. But if you can find a special teams one, I like the I like the three that they have. Obviously, if if one gets injured, they're in a tight spot yeah. in, in the game. But I still think you know those are you've got those three and Patrick Demarco as an emergency option if you know things really go wrong injury wise. But I like the the backfield that they have, and I think safety is interesting because Adam Schefter was reporting that. Um, they're bringing in Josh Jones, the safety from the Packers. Um, I believe he, he got cut by Green Bay. So they're still looking to add in the secondary. And what I like about what they're doing in the secondary is they have a lot of guys who can do different things. Uh, you know, Saran Neal is a bit of a hybrid player. Um, you know, and if you bring in more talent on the back end, I don't think you can have enough good secondary players. I guess my issue is that I don't think Dean Marlowe is all that good. Um, you know, Jaquan Johnson, you want to keep that guy. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that can play special teams and, um, you know, played really well in the games too, uh, especially in the finale. But it, I just don't see it too much with Dean Marlowe. I 
suppose I, I get, you know, the history they have with him, the knowledge he has of the scheme and everything else along those lines. But uh, I think if you can find a better safety or a better guy that can play safety and corner, you know, you're in good shape. If you can find, you know, an upgrade at, at receiver, Joe Marino, a uh, friend of the show. I think I don't think I'm overstepping calling no, Joe Marino. No, I, I, I would say he's a friend he of the show. He reported that the, the Bills are also also have Laquan Treadwell and Noah Spence, Carol Phillips, Kentrell Bryce, and Keon Hatcher in for visits. Treadwell and Spence being the big names just given their their draft position. Um, you know, so they're still tinkering with this roster. I think it's in, you know, we talked about it after the preseason game, you know, you can't feel safe. You can't really celebrate making a 53-man roster no, until certainly not. the dust settles on week one and even into week two. And really, quite frankly, they're going to be tinkering with this thing all season long. And so that's where, you know, a lot of people were in panic over five tight ends. Nobody keeps five tight ends. Or, or I, I would say the idea of, you know, Worrying about the numbers at this stage is a bit of a problem. Now, you want to pay attention to how many they have active at each position throughout the course of a you know, season uh, and, and during these games because I think they got themselves into some trouble last year with um, how many corners they had active and things like that. But other than that, I wouldn't stress out about the numbers at certain positions because yeah. at the bottom of the roster, I think you're mostly worried about assets rather than you know worrying about oh we need we can't have 10 offensive linemen well who says if 10 of them are good then keep them for now plus you have to make seven inactive every week anyway so i mean if you if you have so a it more matter what positions right are. if you have yeah go ahead quarterbacks for all you care i mean obviously no team would ever do that but those guys aren't playing is kind of the point right. so um having a few extra isn't that big of a deal yeah um so having, let's say, Ryan Bates and Connor McDermott be, or heck, even like Butker, because usually, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you only dress seven offensive linemen usually. Yeah, I think three of those guys will be in active yeah. so if that's, they're all still on the roster on that's, Sunday. Right. That's three of your seven. Um, the Dean Marla thing, I had one other thing to add. They, in that final preseason game, they worked him exclusively at nickel corner, um, which I think is something that Brandon Bean was talking about in his press conference on Sunday. He's like, we've got some guys that can, that can, you know, flip flop into that nickel corner role. Obviously you don't want Dean Marlowe playing nickel corner. Um, I mean, Saran Neal, we still don't know what he is. I mean, he's probably going to be an occasional nickel corner slash blitz option. Bean hinted that he could play outside corner in a pinch. He also said Taron Johnson could play outside corner. I don't see it with Taron. I don't think I don't see a, it. And and this is where I say you have to kind of pay attention to what they're keeping, what they're keeping, you know, who they're keeping active, because I think they got themselves into trouble at times last year, not keeping enough corners active, if memory serves, because injuries happen. And if you have to move a guy to the boundary that's not comfortable there, or if you have a, a backup who isn't very strong, it can, you know, be a huge detriment to your secondary. And I think, you know, secondary play is really important in this league and it's been a, a a you know strong point for the bills over the last couple of years but they have gotten themselves in some trouble at times so you know you look at Tredavious White you've got Kevin Johnson you've got Levi Wallace so i think that's enough but a couple yeah. of, but guy, those guys get hurt you know i mean they're built they're not built like the rest of the team so when they get hit or they're in run support like 
injuries happen there. And if you get a couple, then you're in a weird, weird spot. Let's not ignore the fact that Taron Johnson has racked up some injuries. Well, and that might be why they're loading up on guys that can play nickel. Yeah. Is but because they know the way that he plays, which is borders on reckless at times, super physical. And the fact that he's tiny is not a good combination. And so you've got what you're going to throw Saran Neal or maybe Kevin Johnson or maybe Dean Marlowe. It's a, it's a weird spot. To yes. Play. Well, that's why I think they need to add a corner that, that has the ability to play nickel because if Taron Johnson goes down, you do not want to be in the same situation as you were once, uh, uh, once Raphael Bush had to go in once he went down last year. So I think that is fairly a daunting task for them. I think they really would like to have a secondary guy there. They were hoping it was going to be Captain Munderland. They found out he just couldn't play. I mean, it's that simple. It just wasn't there anymore for him. And maybe he needed additional time. Maybe he needed to be there right from the beginning of camp. But this is a a player that his previous team gave up on him because he was getting beat quite a bit. So uh, I think I, I won't want I don't want to use the word priority here, but I think if they have the opportunity to add a cornerback that can play inside at nickel, that's something that very uh, sneakily was lost once they came to the settlement with EJ Gaines because he had the ability to flip inside if they needed him to. And that was tremendous in versatility for them. So they need to they need to figure something out there because Taron Johnson, I don't know. I just don't know about him. I don't know if he's going to be good. I mean, he he was solid when he was on the field last year, more so in run support than he was in coverage. I just don't know what he is in coverage yet. And I think that's a, that's a to be determined and you know, it it could end up being a situation to monitor as as we kind of go along here. I like the player a lot. I, I really yeah. like Taron Johnson and I think he's a a great fit for what they do. I'm more concerned about his body holding up for 16 games. And it's probably a good thing that he had that shoulder surgically repaired, but he's just not built very big and he needs to learn. I mean, I'm sure they love the way that he plays, the way that he's always sticking his nose uh, in and run support. And he has laid some big hits uh, for such a small guy, but it also, you know, puts him at risk for injuries. And he fought through that. He played with that shoulder injury almost the entire year last year until it was clear that it just wasn't wasn't worth playing with. That thing was popping out regularly. Mm-hmm. And he's tough as nails. But, you know, I, I think worrying about him holding up is probably my bigger concern than the player. I, I think he has a chance to be legitimately a, a top-flight nickel option for them. But I just wonder about how consistently he'll hold up over 16 games well here's the thing and the run support aspect to it and obviously the injury risk because of how he plays the run support he's super super good has a nose for it the only thing that gives me pause with him is the coverage because there were some times last year where he was taken advantage of and he's liable on uh, if you have a savvy route runner in front of you which most cases you do going up against a slot receiver where he has fallen behind and has had to play catch up on, on that player. So I want to see him develop more in that aspect, but I do like the potential of the player by all means. Um, I'm going to blow Matthew Fairburn's mind real quick 
live here on the podcast. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Uh, this comes from Andrew Gribble, who is a senior manager of digital media for the Cleveland Browns, who wrote, Wyatt Teller said he found out he was traded to Cleveland while in the hot tub. Your thoughts on the sunbathing WW Teller? That's pretty, that's on brand for Wyatt Teller. He found (laughs) out his, when he was getting drafted, his phone was off and he was sunbathing and the Bills couldn't get in touch with him. So they had to call his brother and now he's in the hot tub. I myself am a big, big hot tub guy. And so I support Wyatt Teller, uh, you know, 100% there. And, yeah, I can't think of anything more fitting than Wyatt Teller being in the hot tub when he got traded. Not only is Matthew Fairburn a big hot tub guy, he is a big sauna guy. He would have one in his house if he wanted to. I would love to have a sauna in my house. It's The the health benefits are just through the roof. Way better than a hot tub um, in every way. And especially in Buffalo. Oh, if you had a sauna in your house, that would be... Amazing. I gotta say though, hot tub in the winter, it's pretty elite. It is it's good. Like it in terms of health benefits, sauna oh, is, yeah. is head and shoulders above. But in terms of relaxation, I would never bring a beer into the sauna, for instance, because that's just risky behavior. Don't act like you have but it. a beer in the hot tub would be is is the a great move. And especially in the winter. It's uh it's a definite it's a must have for like a ski trip. If you're like booking an Airbnb, yeah. you gotta have a hot tub there. Yeah. It's it's a game changer for sure. I mean, the snow falling down and in a hot tub—that's yeah, it's the aesthetic just, of it is it's incredible. A, it's a nice combination. Big big fan. So Wyatt Teller, first finding out he was drafted by the Bills while sunbathing, probably wouldn't have been able to find out if he was in the sauna because he probably would have had bad cell reception and is probably not a good idea to bring your phone in. But why are you having your phone in the hot tub? I don't know. Or maybe somebody came over to him. He was probably at the hot tub here, and somebody was like, hey, you just got traded. So sunbathing. Off. You, you got you got to think Wyatt Teller loves the sauna as well. I would I would hope so. I would think so. Um, if I know Wyatt like I think I do, <laughs> he's a sauna guy. <laughs> uh, not sure if this other guy is a sauna guy, but LaShawn McCoy. I think we, we need to discuss this situation a bit because you wrote a, a really good column Um kind of analyzing what Brandon Bean had had to say about it all and and putting it into context with what they've been saying in the past and with LaShawn and who he is as a player right now, what he actually meant to this team. He's just, I don't, I think the locker room will, will miss him in a sense, but I also think they are content with moving along just because they understand that they have some talent at the position and he was a big personality, big part of it, but they also have a group of leaders, which he was clearly not a part of, um, that they can, they can lean on in this case. LaShawn McCoy was a captain this year. There was no chance he was going to be a captain in, in 2019 in terms of his on the field stuff. He had his worst year of his career by a lot. And while the offensive line in front of him wasn't great, he was not doing them any favors um, a lot of the time by not taking the hole that was open, taking the small stuff, always trying to take the the big the big gains, um, not driving through contact. Whenever there was the first sight of contact, he would go down to minimize the contact to increase his shelf life. I mean, I don't know. 
I think what from what I saw watching film of him last year, the leadership stuff, not notwithstanding, what I saw from him on film last year was a guy that was protecting himself, and I couldn't have been the only one to to see that. And specifically, I don't know that I could have been the only one in terms of people in the building at at One Bills Drive. I I don't know. I just you you wanted to see more from him on a game to game basis, and the only time he was doing that was against the Jets when he started really hot, and that 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 was a problem, I think. Yeah, I a few things. I, I think one, I'm I don't think the locker room will miss him. Uh, I think obviously some guys individually may miss their friendship with him, but I don't think the locker room is worse off for him being gone. I think it's better off. And I think this leaves an opening for what everybody already knew was true and that this is Josh Allen's team. It's Josh Allen's offense. It's his team. It's his locker room. And this just gives more of an opening for for that to happen. When you have a big personality like LaShawn McCoy in there and Brandon Bean even admitted that they factored in what his reaction would be to a reduced workload. You know, when you think about all that, you know, how would LaShawn McCoy have handled Devin Singletary being the featured back midseason? You know, would would he have been uh, on board with it? Uh, you know, I know he's been part of a committee in a way before when Carlos Williams and Mike Gillisley were handling some of the goal line work and short yardage work and finishing drives, but he was still the guy. If he were not the guy, I think that would be a problem. And I don't know for sure because it's a a hypothetical now, but knowing what we know about him, I think that would have been a problem. So there's that. There's the fact that he's coming off the worst season of his career. There's the fact that he had no trade value. If you, if you believe Brandon Bean, which, um, you know, that's about all we can do. He's got said they got a few calls at the deadline last year that did not result in firm offers. He then said there was no calls all spring. Now, the idea that they shopped him around before cutting him and did their, did their due diligence, so to speak, doesn't really mesh. You know, they probably should have been shopping him more aggressively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, I tweeted out a few quotes from the draft when Brandon Bean said he was the starter, you know, before he even asked the question. And then at training camp saying, you know, I know there's a lot of noise outside, but there's no noise inside. Basically saying, poo-pooing the media like, yeah, I know you guys got a job to do, but we're not talking about that. I don't think this was a wake up on Saturday morning and be like, yeah, we got to cut LaShawn McCoy. I think they knew in the back of their minds. And the reason is you follow actions, not words a lot of times Mm -hmm. in this league. And I don't think you draft a running back in the third round if you really think you still have a feature back in LaShawn McCoy. I'm not saying that was a bad thing that they did. I think it was good. I've been saying since they picked Devin Singletary and, and since camp that I think you should maximize his rookie contract and get him on the field as soon as possible. The idea that he needs to learn from LaShawn McCoy, I think, is um, overrated. And then, you know, not only that, but signing Frank Gore and then for Sean McDermott to say they wanted leadership in that room and talking about wanting to increase the competition at running back. Yes, the offensive line was a problem last year, 
clearly running back was as well. Otherwise, why do you need to increase competition there? So I, I applaud them for making the move. I think it's a little late personally. Yeah. Uh, I think you could have, I, I don't know what it, it's hard to know what his value would have been if you weren't shopping him aggressively. I think it was a, a delicate situation in the sense that if you were shopping him, how is he going to handle that? LaShawn McCoy's ego is a tough one to juggle here. I think that's why Brandon Bean so often was publicly declaring him the starter and saying there's nothing to see here. I just you shouldn't think, need to cower to guys like that. And now you don't have to because right. there's nobody in that room that you have to do that with. And I, I think it's freeing in a lot of ways. I think Devin Singletary is probably a better running back right now. I, I, we'll see because LaShawn McCoy landed in a pretty plumb situation with the Kansas City Chiefs in a high-powered offense and torpedoed the value of Darwin Thompson in fantasy, much to my chagrin. But, <laughs> you know, I think – We'll see who's better, but I like the three that they have right now better than I would have liked the LaShawn McCoy presence hanging over the room and hanging over Brian Dable being like, do I need to give this guy X amount of carries even if he doesn't have it, even if he doesn't have the the confidence in the line or what, or if he's just not the same player, how long can you continue to string him along? I think that's the best point of all of this. The You don't have to worry about how you divide touches and how it will impact the locker room because that is you should not have to be dealing with that with a player who is past his prime and clearly not or at least it isn't evident who the best runner on the team is it could be Devin Singletary maybe it was LaShawn McCoy probably not based on what we saw last year you should not have to feel handcuffed to continuing to give this guy 10 to 15 carries if he doesn't deserve it because if you do then it becomes a headache but like you said i applaud them for making the move doesn't hurt to get six plus million on the salary yeah that that's that's good i actually thought i I was kind of surprised about how much he got on the open market but i think that's that's more of a testament to his uh, reputation than anything than what he did last year but I do think they missed an opportunity. And this goes back to conversations we have had for years on this podcast about whether or not to take advantage of trading LaShawn McCoy while while you could. Because they wound up getting nothing for him. I when, think by last year it was too late. It, I, Clearly. I would tend to agree. And they got to the playoffs with him, so I guess that that's, has to be factored that's the in. the flip side. I yeah. wrote before that 2017 season that I thought they should trade him. Do they make the playoffs without him? Maybe, maybe not. I, who knows? You know but, what? They could have got something for him last offseason. Probably. Think. I, before the, yeah. Before. If it was like a, a fifth, maybe sixth round pick, they could have gotten something for him. But at that point, they thought, oh, maybe he's still got some juice left in him because 2017, he looked kind of solid. But we also shouldn't ignore the fact that his value on the trade market torpedoed once people put on the film. They saw LaShawn running one way behind that line, and they saw... Without question, Chris Ivory performing better than him well, behind that offensive didn't line. Help either everything that happened over the summer off the field. Oh, certainly you not. Know, that that started it. Um, probably impacted his play more than he would admit. And if you're a team at the deadline, that situation was still. I mean, it's still ongoing technically, but it was still pretty fresh. And you add in the fact that he was not playing well. Even at times, Marcus Murphy looked just as good, if not better. 
Um, and so it wasn't all the line. The line wasn't good, but other guys were running behind it. And, you know, then you add in the off the field stuff and, and everything else. And you just thought, well, if you're a team at the deadline, what are you giving up for that? And, you know, that's where the window was probably missed. I think there was a value they saw in having that guy with their young quarterback, but I don't know that it worked out quite as planned because, you know, having him with Josh Allen, he had his worst season. So um, it, it wasn't exactly a, it's not like Josh Allen had this great running game to lean on, you know? And so it is what it is. I don't know that his value was ever so high that they missed some golden opportunity. If it was a fifth or sixth round pick, you know, that's Ray Ray McLeod, who's not on the team anymore. Yeah, um, or Matt Milano, or or Matt Milano. I mean, sure, those picks can be something, but it's yeah. not. It, it's not as if they blew it by being like, oh, you could have had a third, and you really blew it. I don't know that they blew it in that way, and they made the playoffs, and you know, maybe there was some element of him helping boost Josh Allen's confidence last year, just the way that he always talked about him and things like that. So it it's not necessarily like they, they screwed up, but I do applaud them for doing the right thing now, doing the right thing in the sense that it's time, you know, maximize Devin Singletary's rookie deal, ride the hot hand. You've got three running backs who all bring a little bit something different. And I think this collective three is better than it would be if you took one of them out and and threw LaShawn McCoy in. Mm-hmm. It's it's all just a very compelling case, but I think we can both agree that the Bills made the right move here. Um, perhaps a bit later than they should have, but the right move nonetheless. I mean, I guess they, they needed to see that Singletary was as far along as, as he is, or at least as they believe he is right now. So, in that sense, McCoy was a bit of a uh, a safety blanket in that respect. But still, I mean, th- this is now a team that is completely of the vision that they had set for it. It's a roster that is, for the most part, without ego. Um, it is predicated on competition as opposed to allowing people just to be the starter because they're the starter. And, you know, there are some positions where you're like, oh, that that person's locked in. But they're also, I think, in conversations with them, they know that it's not a guarantee. Whereas with McCoy, it was, there was just that inherent belief that, oh, yeah, I'm the guy. That, that was like, the only time he talked to us this summer. Yeah, they told me I'm the guy. It's like, are you tone deaf right now? Like it's, you can clearly see Devin Singletary and Frank Gore cutting into your time on the practice field, let alone anything else. So now they don't have to deal with that anymore. And I think it's, they'll never say it publicly, but I'm sure they're probably going, whew, we can relax now. We don't have to worry about this guy anymore. This has nothing to do with their decision whatsoever. And most people don't really care because it's insider baseball type stuff, but, Walking into that locker room, you know, without him from a media perspective is freeing um, in a lot of ways because he was the constant headache of he's the star, but he won't talk, you know, at times last year, and mm-hmm. you know, all training camp, he wouldn't talk. And 
it's funny. They don't really have any guys that you would consider like a, a problem media-wise in the locker room. And I think, again, it's not it, that's not going to lead to wins by any means, but mm-hmm. it speaks to what your point of the lack of ego, um, because I think those two are intertwined. If, you know, if it's a problem to talk to the media, that's sometimes an ego thing, not all the time, but sometimes I never really blame guys when they don't do it. But if you look around that locker room, you know, there's just not a lot of guys who have a tremendous amount of ego and who are much of a, an issue personality wise. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, not that LaShawn McCoy was this massive, massive problem in that locker room because I don't think he was, No, I agree. it's just a different vibe. And, I think it's for the best because, like I said, this is Josh Allen's team through and through, and now there's zero question about that. So, yeah, the the Bills are without McCoy. It, this is a uh, Singletary, Gore, Yeldon show. And, well, I mean, let's maybe discuss that for a couple of minutes, just how this whole thing is going to shake out because I think the initial impulse from people was, hey, now this means – uh, now this means that this is Singletary's team. Well, no, uh, at least not at the start. I think more more than anything, it's going to be Singletary and Gore kind of getting maybe a similar amount of touches. Maybe Singletary gets a little bit more. Yeldon will work in as well as a, as a pass catching back. But honestly, I think this could wind up being a New England type of situation where they go into it game plan specific. I mean, that's where Dable comes from, right? I mean, he, he saw it work. All the time with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels and, and company over there. I mean, this they would have a distinct weakness that they see from the defense. They would have a running back with a differing skill set from the other two guys that they have to be able to exploit that weakness. Whether it be, you know, think back, LeGarrette Blunt, And if, if a team was weak in their front seven or right up the middle, boom, LeGarrette Blunt until they're blue in the face. If... They didn't have a linebacker that could go sideline to sideline to cover. Hey, here's James White or here's here's Deion Lewis to to deal with here. I mean, I think that's the type of situation they're setting up for themselves. And Frank Gore is still, I think, a better player than like Garrett Blunt. Um, but when you have different, different, was a he's more of a pounder. Beast. But Gore is more of a pounder than more talented the, running. The other two guys that they have on the roster, yeah. whether it be Singletary and Yeldon. But they're just setting themselves up to have just whatever they want to utilize. And that's what I think we're going to see at the beginning. And perhaps even throughout the entirety of the season. But Singletary will have a substantial role, I think. Yeah, I think he'll be the he'll get the most work. But I also am curious and intrigued to see what this means for TJ Yeldon. And I think that might be my favorite part of this move. Because it opens up room for TJ Yeldon to have a role. And I think in the right role, he can be a bit of a a weapon uh, in the passing game. He's good in pass protection. He's great out of the backfield. And I think that can be utilized. I don't think he's the best, you know, every down runner, but he doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they signed him to a two-year deal, they they saw something in him. And if LaShawn McCoy was here, you know, he can play that pass passing down role as well. So, you know, that would have blocked TJ Eldon's usage. And now you've just got three distinctly different flavors that, as you mentioned, can be deployed in a variety of ways at a variety of different times. And I think that makes the overall backfield better than if you had to, you know, 
section off a certain amount of carries for, for one guy. I think you ride the hot hand. If Singletary's rolling, he can make plays out of the backfield as well. Um, but in terms of pass protection, you know, Yeldon and Gore are going to be certainly head and shoulders above him. But it, it, it just gives you a, a lot of different looks as an offense. And I know Brian Dable uh, likes it that way. All right. So the Bills are down to 53. Um, they have the New York Jets this coming this coming uh, weekend for week one. We'll be going over that matchup once we get closer to the weekend for our other free episode. But before we do that, we're working on uh, doing something that I think you guys will really like for the subscriber-only episode. Um, we haven't confirmed it just yet, but uh, I, I think it would be a good time if you if you don't uh, subscribe now, you should. And you can still get yourself a 40% off discount by going to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. Become a subscriber. Not only do you get access to our um, subscriber-only podcast, you get to read all the stuff we write, all the stuff every writer that covers every single team in our network of writers um, writes. And it's all very in-depth uh, feature analysis, whatever you want. Really, anything you could you could ever want is, is over at The Athletic. So by all means, do that. And if you uh, listen to us on one of the free, the, uh, free avenues, then if you could, please rate and subscribe uh, to our podcast because it certainly helps us as well. Matthew, any final words on, on this roster before we bid them adieu? No, but I'm excited for Thursday. Yeah. Thursday? Yeah. Wednesday? Thursday, yeah. If it comes to fruition. Yes, it's, uh, it's going to be pretty good, I think. I think you guys will really like it. All right. So that's going to do it for us. My name is Joe Biscaglia for Matthew Fairburn. This is the Buffalo Beat Podcast. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you later this week. See you then.